So I've been doing some walking during this Lenten season, and some of my walking has taken place at the stations in the street that Meg mentioned earlier, just a little north of here in the Lakewood Shopping Center on the exterior wall of <clears throat> El Futuro are these images by Scott Erickson that we've been uh, using in our worship this evening, and you can go see them. Many of you have walked these stations. Some of you helped uh, construct these stations. They've been open since Ash Wednesday, where some of you, some of us, have walked and prayed and walked this journey to the cross and then had the sign of the cross smeared in between your eyes. That Ash Wednesday week, later that week, uh, just a couple days later, I got the chance to go on a trip to visit my brother's family in Montgomery, Alabama. He's in the Air Force, and they just got stationed to Montgomery. And the final day of the trip, Titus and I took a pilgrimage of sorts to the Equal Justice Initiatives National Memorial of Peace and Justice. Many of you are familiar with um, Brian Stevenson's organization. As you enter in to the Equal Justice Initiatives National Memorial for Peace and Justice, a stern security guard tells you, take all the pictures you want to take, but don't pose or post any pictures of the first set of statues that greets you when you enter. Of course, he meant to communicate the, the gravity of the subject matter and the respect due. This is a public memorial to the thousands of lynchings of black people that have happened all across the American South. And an enslaved family bearing chains greets you as you enter. I couldn't help but feel a parallel of these two experiences. I had never experienced this sort of juxtaposition before. The cross right next to the lynching tree. I could feel it in my body and in my shoes. I could feel the silence that the security guard really didn't need to tell me to keep. I could feel it in just the sorrow that permeates, that seeps into you. I'd, I had known that feeling a little bit. I'd walked the Stations of the Cross since I was a kid. It was similar. I knew that feeling, that certain spatiality that comes when you read Scripture on the move, when you start to live and walk with Jesus, when you experience even like temporarily or in like a performative way, the injustice of it all, the kangaroo court and the, the mocking, the frailty and the falling, the final moments, the final moments of the one that we don't just call our great teacher, but we call God, God's final moments. See, you can skip over words that aren't palliable, palliable uh, or whole sections that feel kind of too grotesque when you're in the comfort of an armchair. But when you're walking, it's really hard to avert your eyes. The cross right next to the lynching tree, it's helping me see. It's helping me see the face of Jesus and the face of those in the most pain. 
those who are most often tempted, those who are most likely to be betrayed or condemned, and those who are more frequently mocked than the rest of us, those who are most at the mercy of the merciless powers of cruelty and justice in this world. The cross reminds us that every time we turn our faces away from these least, last, lost, littlest, and closest to death, we turn our eyes away from Jesus. The cross right next to the lynching tree is helping me see, it's helping me see Jesus walking kind of with a limp in those desecrated places around us. The one who for our sake in our place was cast out of the city gates. That's where the garbage was sent. Who was made a scarecrow to discourage others from following suit and challenging the prevailing peace that wasn't really peace at all. The cross reminds us that Jesus has gone there. He's done that. So if we're ever actually willing to go there, if we're going to empty ourselves, or if we get put there, whether we choose to or not, we won't be lost in the valley of the shadow of death. We'll be met there. We'll be met there by Jesus, who's gone before us, our good shepherd. The cross right next to the lynching tree, it's helping me see, it's helping me see Jesus bearing our sin, the brunt of the very worst things we could think of, and more often than not, the things that we don't even think about, the thoughtless motives to achieve or strive or secure ourselves rather than to rely on the God who provides and prevails, the God who makes a way where there is no way. It is by his stripes that we are healed, even if we're the ones most often doing the wounding to him. The cross takes our sin onto Jesus' body and takes it out of circulation in this world to heal, to forgive, to bring this world to rights. As we walked through the memorial, I have these markers, and they start out just kind of like catalogs, row by row, and you can read uh, on them. Uh, each oxidizing pillar is emblazoned kind of a negative space with uh, the name of a county and the names, often too many names, of the victims of mob violence. And you start to kind of descend, and these start to come over your head, and it's, it's overwhelming and unwieldy, these hanging columns above you. Oftentimes, the names on these were unnamed victims, those who had been marred beyond recognition and whose stories were snatched, extinguished. Though big crowds watched, many after church, these images of God didn't deserve to have their names remembered. Crucifixion, too, was the death of a slave, the death of a nobody, one without a name. Had Jesus not been raised from the dead, nobody would have remembered his name. So I moved 
through these markers with the goal of finding something familiar. I looked for Durham, and this is a new memorial, so Durham is, is, is one of the ones to come. It wasn't there. We looked at every single marker, and we couldn't find Durham. We had to ask somebody. But there sure were markers for Chatham County, in Wake County, in Orange County, in Leon County, in Alachua County, where I went to school, in Volusia County, where I grew up, these places I've walked countless times, the places I've learned and grown and loved, all had a role in this sick, sinful, and sorrowful story. You get really overwhelmed on this sort of walk. You become so acutely aware of the suffering around you in the world. You all of a sudden become laser focused and really attentive of the sin inside of you. And your eyes open really wide to the history of hate and violence behind us. Tracing all the way back to our first parents in the garden. If you're like me, you can't help but feel a little bit of a despair for what's ahead. It's easy to get stopped square in your tracks. People like me, with skin like mine, stand before these memorial pillars for those killed on lynching trees and we feel awful. Should feel awful, it's awful. We feel like part of the problem. In fact, we still benefit from some of the grotesque history that we're walking amongst. Feel hopelessly locked into this past and the future that's coming from it, determined by it. But when we stand before the crucified one on the cross, strangely enough, there is a future. Though we've been part of the problem all along, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. When we come to Jesus on the cross, we're given his future, which admittedly doesn't look like much at the time, it really doesn't seem like anything at all. Because at the cross, we foreclosed on blessing. We shut down the movement of God. We forgot God's name. We cursed grace embodied. Only for this cross to become a new symbol of new blessing. A new genesis. Like the compost from which the first fruits of the new creation spring, and we are invited to follow. Often we're too quick to run to find ourselves in this post-cross story without meeting Jesus at Golgotha. Jürgen Motman writes, The symbol of the cross in the church points to the God who is crucified not between two candles on an altar, but between two thieves in the place of the skull where the outcasts belong, outside the city gates. This doesn't invite our thought, it invites a change of mind. This is a symbol which therefore leads out of the church, 
out of religious longing and into the fellowship of the oppressed and abandoned. And on the other hand, it's also a symbol which calls the oppressed and godless into the church and through the church into the fellowship with the crucified God. So we must walk with this crucified God. Like Simon, a couple stations from now, we must join Jesus in his cross-bearing. We must be crucified with Christ so that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us in these bodies. And like the first songs we heard this evening, we must ask, we must beg, we must become desperate for Jesus to walk with us. And he will. He will never leave us or forsake us. He will go with us. And then our only response when he does is to drop everything we cling to in order to take up our own crosses and follow him. No turning back. No turning back. This is the good news of the cross. Jesus atones for our sin in order to make us Again, at one with God, at one with each other, at one with this broken but brilliant creation that groans for redemption, in spite of all the ways we've grasped at control and pushed God away. The good news of the cross is that Jesus wins a stunning victory through defeat over the powers of sin and death that enslave and scapegoat and intimidate. These powers that build barriers between people rather than tables to include them in the very life of God. Jesus invites us to live in this new world created through the cross. It's a new world free of fear, stronger than death, bursting with life. He'll walk with you. Will you walk with him?